0: There's some great, there's some great curriculums for that it all starts with a great teacher and, and yeah. one answer is to get more entrepreneurs and former entrepreneurs into the classroom right teaching a yeah. class you you know you've had successful startups you've had your exit, uh, you know we should have a, a public education system that's very friendly to you know you don't want to be a full time teacher I get that but you want to go in you know three days a week for an hour a day to work with uh, 20 students on developing an entrepreneurial concept and just sort of leveraging that goodwill that's out there from the entrepreneurial community is something that we can do a lot better uh, on, on the education side.
1: Welcome back everybody to another edition of innovate within member of the started up podcast network. Really been excited about this one earlier in the year. I got an introduction to Jared Polis, who is the governor of Colorado And I did so because of a former guest, David Cohen, who is the co-founder of Techstars. I did not know that the other co-founder of Techstars, knew about Brad Feld, but did not know the other one was Jared Polis. So um, out of that conversation, he sent me an introduction. Sincerely appreciate that, Mr. Cohen. But I was really thrilled about having this podcast because um, Colorado has really made a name for themselves on creating great ecosystems for innovation and entrepreneurship. So I got a chance to talk about that, how that can be replicated. And then finally, his passion into education. I had read a little bit about the fact that he had started some uh, charter schools, uh, believed in a lot of, um, you know, training and mindset about entrepreneurship, but also school choice and and providing um, underserved communities an opportunity to uh, look into entrepreneurship. So For the education side and also the ecosystem side, I was really glad to get this interview in and uh, really valued it. Also, if you are just getting to this podcast and just discovering it, it means the world to us to not only listen, but if you have any feedback, please let us know. A review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever means the world to us. And then, quite frankly, if you have suggestions on who to have on as guest, we always are open to those suggestions as well. But enough of me talking. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Without further ado, Governor Jared Polis. All right. I am thrilled now to join you with Governor Polis, the 43rd governor of Colorado. Governor Polis, thank you so much for being here. Don, it's a pleasure to join you on your podcast. Thank you. So let's just jump right into it because I know you're busy. Um, your background as an entrepreneur, first. So, even on the family side, you know, bluemountain.com. And then later on, you started Pro Flowers. That journey as an entrepreneur, how did that shape you as a governor, but also policy as a governor?
0: Well, you know, I I really uh am a, a startup guy. I've I've started over a dozen companies, um, taken one public, uh, sold several others. Uh I've also was a co-founder of Techstars and active in um, early stage companies as an advisor, board member, investor. So uh and, and it does translate well to uh to public service because in many ways um I you know anybody can sort of continue to run things the way they are but to be disruptive in a positive way is a skill set that you bring from the private sector to try to to try to really leverage change in in the way we do things and and uh,
1: build new ideas from the bottom up um, that help uh, help move us forward as as a state and as a nation so talk to me about that building ideas from the bottom up. I mean, that, Really what this section of the podcast has been about is like ecosystem build. Uh, I've been talking to mayors, big and small. Uh, now we're talking to a governor that you were in at the ground level when Boulder wasn't Boulder yet. So tell me about that ecosystem and how those ideas came from the bottom up.
0: Well, Boulder was always Boulder. I'm a native uh, of the town, but but I, th- I think you're right. It's become a lot more of a hotbed of entrepreneurial activity in in the the last uh, decade, and and it was always a creative place. Uh, you know, I think that when you look at successful startup ecosystems, it often often involves a community that has a world class university. We have that in Boulder, University of Colorado. Uh, you know, new students, tech transfer, but also just sort of the vibrancy, the cultural vibrancy that comes with a college town. Uh, and, and it certainly wasn't any deliberate policy on behalf of the city of Boulder. It was really uh, a consolation of um, there being a number of uh, successful entrepreneurs and investors and us bringing them together in a way to create a new generation of entrepreneurs uh, with the idea of the mentoring uh, through the Techstars process.
1: Yeah, so talk to me about like the, those early days of Techstars, I, obviously uh, David Cohen, Brad Feld, When did all of a sudden you're like, we're going to go big and we're going to go multi-state?
0: Yeah. So at first it was not right. It was really, uh, can we, can we pull this off? Is the, you know, really, you know, let's bring 10 people with great ideas for a intensive summer to Boulder, you know, Techstars class one, Techstars class two, uh, not nearly the number of applicants they had later on. Uh, We had to kind of go out there and and build a name for ourselves, but uh, what we found is that, you know, as as you know, in, as a funder as well as a venture capital funder, it's more about the people. Uh, the idea can always pivot, it can adapt, and there's plenty of good ideas out there with the wrong teams to implement them. Um, so really, you're trying to find the right balance in a team, you know, it could be two, three co-founders, whatever it is. Do they have the tech, the marketing vision, the strategic sense? And then, of course, those ideas pivot along the way. That's a a distant second as a concern uh, about whether their ideas currently articulated is is going to be a commercial success or not.
1: So you guys have been doing this uh, before, I want to say accelerators were cool. Um, They are now, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, What are some of the things that you see that has been a positive? And what are you kind of concerned about with the proliferation of, you know, startup culture and several accelerators and several incubators?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I could keep track of all the accelerators that exist today, Don. Uh, when we were starting TechStars, it was really just us and there's you know Y Combinator. Um, there were absolutely incubators, even in 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 Internet 1.0. You know where I was active as an entrepreneur as well, kind of late '90s as we call it. Um, BlueMountain.com, ProFlowers.com. Uh, there were there were incubators, but the difference was. While you might graduate from them, there wasn't like a defined program. And, and they were usually associated with funders who would have, you know, some common space for the three or four companies they funded. Uh, some would would grow there. Uh, some would, would eventually move out. Some would go out of business. Um, but this concept of a, th- a two or three month intensive, where then they graduate and and, and and matriculate into kind of raising professional capital, was very new at the time. And you're right. Now, there's proliferation of programs, some high quality, some not. Uh, but overall, I'm thrilled with the proliferation of programs because what, what the young entrepreneurs often need is that kind of coaching and 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 preparedness and network that helps them get their idea to the next step where it's actually fundable.
1: What about the venture side? What are some of the concerns you see with just venture in general? And does it need a shakeout? There's a lot more venture capital
0: for early stage companies as well, for better and worse. Uh, you know you you when you have these funds that invested in an enormous number of startups i um visited one of them you know years ago in silicon valley you know 6 7 years ago i think it was was it called a thousand startups Don, or something like that some crazy number 500 start, that was the name of it right yeah. um, you know you tell me it was 500
1: 1000 whatever think, i it was. think it was a 500 startups yeah. yeah
0: and they like passed the 500 and like so you could imagine though as a portfolio manager uh, and at the an investor, you you can't spend a lot of time if you have three partners and you're invested in five hundred companies. So it's not the same kind of value add and strategic sense that is in traditional venture capital model. It's not bad. In fact, it's good that these companies have access to early stage capital. But the investors making those decisions. In conventional venture capital, they're thinking, look, like maybe one out of four, one out of five will be a, a, you know, a a, a good hit, you know, maybe another one will break even and kind of three will fall by the wayside, you know, that would be a normal calculus. When you're doing 500, 1000 investments, you're saying I'm doing 500, probably 450 are going to be out of business, right? And then maybe I'll have two that are a unicorn, and and they're going to be the billion dollar valuation that buys back the whole fund. So it's just a different calculus, um, you know, that's at play with those
1: yeah well what scares me in hearing you say that and I, I I've seen the same thing is that the the level of love and attention you get if you're not one of those two out of 100 you know I, I I see similarities like in so many things coming like the housing market and obviously and even the publishing industry like the publishing industry I just remember um talking to some authors that um you know when the, when you get your book published a lot of times it's like hey good luck kid and there's not a lot of support because they're t- they're putting in their time and support with their their guaranteed successors and so it was kind of a struggle and then therefore the publishing world went through a huge um revolution and it was needed and, and the same thing with like on the real estate side i think that the parallels there are like the valuations like man, I remember the early two thousands where all of a sudden everybody could get a mortgage and the valuations for the houses went up, you know, up the charts, and it just started to not make sense. And so we saw problems. Is it, do you sense a perfect storm of, you know, technology companies starting to get ridiculous valuations off of good rumors, and everybody throwing money and and, and without stopping and and pausing and saying, is this right?
0: Well, look. What I care about the most is that good ideas can get funded, and that founders who don't have, you know, uh, well-connected parents and 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 didn't go to the elite business schools have a shot at, at getting the funding. Uh, and 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 you're right. When you're funded with a large group, you don't have the same hands-on help, but you've got you've got your shot. I mean, it comes down to your execution. Do you have the team? The idea? Can you get it done? Uh, can you meet the market demand? In starting a new business, the odds are against you in any business. I mean, they're against you whether you start a restaurant or even more so if you uh, do a startup in a new sector. But in general, it, what's a good thing is that compared to 15 or 20 years ago, there is a lot more early stage capital today. Yeah. Uh, not all that capital, smart capital, not all that capital will see a return, but uh, it is more widely available uh, in the earlier stages than it was 15 or 20 years ago.
1: That's a great point. And, and, and obviously there's a lot of uh, cities kind of vying for that next Silicon Valley kind of thing. uh, The title Uh, really, there's several spots around Colorado that are obviously really well known for, for startups Um, moving forward. How will they kind of keep that uh, competitive edge knowing that, you know, cities like gosh, Milwaukee, I'm in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Columbus, Ohio. I mean, they're all kind of gunning for that, that Boulder esque, Quality. How do they keep their competitive edge and how do you keep that ecosystem going?
0: Well, I know you're a big Indiana booster, which I understand. I think what we really have in Colorado and we always pitch is the quality of life. I mean, you can do world class skiing, you know, an hour or two from where you live, whitewater rafting, mountain biking, hiking, rock climbing, fishing, um, you know, kind of all available uh in you know and and then of course it's something that indiana does share is a relatively central location and obviously we have a, a major airport denver international airport very easy to go west coast east coast um you know whereas if you're, you're you're on either coast it's a lot more difficult to get to the other so central great quality of life with location independent employment obviously your money goes further than it would in a california Uh, I uh, I think Indiana can make that same argument. So you look at the competitive advantages of different areas, but for Colorado, um, we really pride ourselves on our outdoor recreation or on our great quality of life.
1: Yeah. Speaking of another similarity, I I really admired the way both Indiana and you handled being COVID-friendly and business-friendly. Talk to me about some of those tough decisions to do the right thing uh, health-wise, and also make sure that businesses were were not left out in the cold.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think some states uh, kind of went a little bit too far both ways, right? So you will have states like California that, in my opinion, were shut down kind of too long, too tight, too long, um, and then you say states that didn't take it seriously, like South Dakota, uh, and just had death rates, you know, three four times what ours was in Colorado, and and really not much to show for it we we tried to take a middle road and you know use mass in a smart way smart way and we had one of the shortest um stay-at-home periods of any state and and just try to be safe about how we space people so as I said like we want to be able to live our lives it's not in the normal way but it's also not in no way just like being smart and taking the precautions we need to avoid a runaway death toll from this
1: yeah Earlier on, you were talking about um, some access, and and I really wanted to to really shift the focus now on education. Seeing that you you got a great education, you've been around entrepreneurial parents. Um, do you have a, a feeling that more entrepreneurial, let's just call it the entrepreneurial mindset, needs to be introduced more in our K twelve system?
0: Well, yes, both systemically and, of course, we also, there's two ways to take that question. One is, should students be exposed to entrepreneurship and and starting their own company? And absolutely. And in high school, there's great programs where they do that. But I think the other sort of element of the question is, how do we think about providing an education in an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial way? Charter schools, schools of choice. We have a great, one thing, another thing we share, Indiana and Colorado, we have a great school choice ecosystem, meaning... And I started uh, and I, I was a social entrepreneur. I started two charter schools and I was superintendent of one. So I, I just had an idea. Uh, and then, you know, was it was an entrepreneur in the public sector and, and it's uh, the, all the laws and funding or uh, make you able to do that in Indiana and Colorado. That's, we can't take that for granted. That's not the case in every state. In some states, they you can't just go out and start a public school.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm. I promise you, I'm not softballing you this. Um, but I, I well, do. we're finding
0: a lot more similarities between Indiana <laughs> and Colorado than I ever thought. You know, we always thought uh, we
1: well, a, a flat no,
0: place, I, and we're a mountainous place. But we have, when you look below the surface, we have a lot in common.
1: Well, no, I, I again, not trying to softball you. Uh, I, I do think that I think that there's comments like our governor is a Republican who had some COVID-friendly responses, but it was also trying to be business-friendly you're a Democrat that had the, the very similar centrist. Let's, let's be um, cautious, but uh, open minded about something. So I appreciate that. But again, back to the education stuff. Um, it, I'm just going to state the obvious. Sometimes school choice and the Democratic Party don't get along. Uh, and so I, I when I saw that you and and really, actually, I want to bring up the names of the, the charter schools, because I think that the charter schools that I'm looking at were amazing. And I, and I appreciate that. And the fact that your foundation recognizes teachers every year. Do yeah, you, you know,
0: I, and I, you know, and then kind of being uh Bipartisan on both sides. I mean, of course, there's problems on, on the Democratic side. There's also problems on the Republican side, yes. where there's a tendency to throw money at anybody operating a school without any quality metrics or accountability. So, you know, it's taxpayer money. We, we should be careful about it. We should be thoughtful. You know, it, there needs to be a thoughtful process around that. You can't just throw it at anybody who calls themselves a school. Uh, and there are Republicans who do. But same with uh, yeah, absolutely. There's Democrats who um, uh, don't uh, react as positively to school choice as they should,
1: yeah, I, I think that um, exactly. I, like th- by the way, this is exactly the the thing that I look forward to when people uh, aren't necessarily towing the party line on every single thing. and and i I just like the fact that when I was doing some research, and yes, the 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 two schools that you've started and and you've done a lot of uh, work there and this the fact that also your, your foundation does work a lot um and recognizes teachers every year was so uh, so one of them don
0: new america school uh, i started it back in uh 03 a long time ago now um and it uh, i think it opened in 04 and i was superintendent for a couple of years before i ran for congress and we work with uh english language learners so older like uh, 15 to 19 year old english language learners uh mostly newer immigrants many of them were not in conventional schools or it didn't work for them and the focus is on english language literacy fluency and then of course a high school education culminating in a degree uh and it really took off well there's three of them in colorado they're also in uh new mexico uh uh arizona so they've really um they've really uh, the models worked very well across the southwest
1: yeah even saw your work with the uh, slice School lunch improvement for children's education. Oh, back when I was in Congress, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, all, all these things about, I, I love, but um, just growing that ecosystem and and, and again, like you know, I'm I'm a fan. You know, uh, obviously read uh, Brad Feld's books and and because yes, I, I at at a state level here in Indiana, um, I'm kind of leading the charge for K twelve. Um, we have a an amazing high school pitch competition, and this year it's going to be quite interesting because. Actually, people are actively tracking these students and wanting to give them investments at 17, and we're proud of that. But it, it, one of the things we really tried to disrupt this last year was, was just the pre-education of it. In year, this is going to be the fourth year. In year one, the schools that were doing really well at this competition were predictable. They either came from entrepreneurial parents or they had a really interesting class, an innovation class. They had a, an entrepreneurial class with a... With a with a little, you know, marketing, they understood the stake and sizzle. Um, so in, in years two and three, we try to reach out to, and and really understand that programming and the mindset for schools that just weren't given that access, or at least this kind of um, those classes. So I, when, when I saw how the startup community way and, and read that book, like I'm trying to see how the ecosystem of Boulder became Boulder how that would look at a K12 level how we could get that systematically into the K12 system to where more like you know as we say in our you know in our competition to get students to see problems as opportunities and to build and scale something around it that's you know what i'm really wanting to find and uh, you know so in in your opinion um how how could that yeah how would that be solved you know is that just a straight yeah. entrepreneurship
0: there's some great, there's some great curriculums for that it all starts with a great teacher and, and yeah. one answer is to get more entrepreneurs and former entrepreneurs into the classroom right teaching a class you you know you've had successful startups you've had your exit, uh, you know, we should have a, a public education system that's very friendly to, you know, you don't want to be a full time teacher I get that but you want to go in, you know three days a week for an hour a day to work with uh, 20 students on developing an entrepreneurial concept and just sort of leveraging that goodwill that's out there from the entrepreneurial community is something that we can do a lot better uh, on on the education
1: side. Love it. Um, One last point Uh, in your education. um, What was that? uh, Well, I, I should ask who was your favorite teacher and what was that lesson you really took away from it?
0: Well, that's a good question. You know, I I started my first company in college. It was an internet access provider. Uh, it was my sophomore year and I met, I, I um, started with two friends that I met through college. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, very young entrepreneur, I must've been 19 or so when I started it, you definitely learn a lot through that school of hard knocks. Um, I don't remember a lot in my conventional education that lent itself to entrepreneurship. Although what I would emphasize, is that you know the the basic academics are critical. You got to have the numeracy, the literacy, you know, basic accounting, how to read. You know, you can't read a spreadsheet if you don't know multiplication and 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 uh, and addition and subtraction. So I mean, I had those basics and I was able to deploy them well in the entrepreneurial field. Um, I never had the advantage of, if you will, an entrepreneurial, um, you know, mentor and instructor in the educational setting. But the basics are important, and and that's why you know when we focus on underperforming, you know, elementary schools and in in um, serving at-risk population and people of color, like you're not going to be able to to get there and get those those hard entrepreneurial skills if you're not fully literate and you can't you know, can't understand the numbers in a budget.
1: Yeah, very much so. Governor Polis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your candor. Uh, Congratulations on the ecosystems and all the success that Colorado is, is witnessing now and in the future.
0: Thank you, Don, and good luck with your podcast. We hope to welcome you to Colorado someday with open arms.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, sir.